Well, good morning, Tri-Village. It is so good to see you and be with you this morning. My name is Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors in our church family. And so it is great to be up here. I love this place, love what God is doing here. Uh, I'm not the normal guy here. So if you're visiting, I'm not the normal one. I'm just the better looking one, okay? Uh, Eric Solomon is our pastor up here, and so if you're visiting, I would love for you to come back to meet him in a couple weeks. Eric and his family are on a well-deserved vacation, and so I want to encourage you as a church family to be praying for he and his family that they would get rest. I was texting with him yesterday, and it sounded like they were having a lot of fun and getting some of that needed rest. Before we dig in, I also want to say this to you. Uh, I just love whenever I can be up here because I'm excited about what God is doing in this community of faith. Tri-Village is meeting incredible needs and uh, being uh, one of those churches that just bonds together and, uh, and reaches out into its community. It is a joy to watch not just Eric, but also, Melissa and Ava and Drew, as they shepherd you as a community, and your staff loves you well, and I hope you know that, um, and don't take that for granted. They are an incredible leadership team here, so uh, thankful for them. Well, this morning, yeah. This morning, we are digging into this text that Melissa just read, so I hope you have uh, one of those journals. If you don't, uh, and you're going to be here, we'd love for you to connect with Melissa and uh, to get one of those. But we are going to be looking at this text in Matthew 7. And if you have been with us, we have been in uh, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount the, the past couple weeks. It is probably the most famous teaching of Jesus and uh, the most uh, applicable uh, for our lives. And it's one of those that we uh, get this rush of knowledge from Jesus, and he is telling us what disciples are to live like, what they're to look like. And so these are vital pieces of the text, and what we're looking at this week is the conclusion of that sermon. There's a commentator, R.T. France, who he's a commentator on the book of Matthew. And this is what he says about the Sermon on the Mount. He says, The teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is not meant to be admired, but to be obeyed. See, we can go through these previous chapters and we can be in awe of what is taught there, but these chapters that we've looked at, this sermon is something that we have to take a look at probably once a year, and say, how are we to live and obey our Father? So I want you to understand this morning as we go through this text that there's a principle that kind of rises out of it. As I've been studying it and looking at it, I think the principle is simply this. It's that disciples make tough decisions to live for Christ's kingdom. Disciples have to make tough decisions in order to live for Christ's kingdom. And so here's what I want to do. I want to kind of look at it in some categories here. We're going to first look at the disciples' journey. 
And then we're going to look at the disciples' discernment, then the disciples' obedience, and then lastly, we'll look at the disciples' foundation. So let's start with the disciples' journey. So look at verses 13 and 14. See, if you start looking there, if we start there, one of the things you have to understand is if you are going to take a trip, and I'm a little jealous that Melissa just shared about her trip, but if you're going to take a trip, you have to have a destination, right? See, in order to go on a journey, you have to know where you're going. And so for many of us, we have fallen in love with our map apps. For many of us, we probably can't get anywhere without our map apps. And so we type in our destination. And what's interesting with those apps is that not only do you type in the destination, but you have a lot of choices on how to get somewhere. See, along the way uh, in our lives, we are going to have choices, choices in our journey. Now look at verses 13 and 14. What's interesting here is that Jesus starts and he ends up saying, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, I I highlighted some words there because these are some key words that we need to take a look at, that we need to understand as we get into this text. But Jesus is concluding this sermon, and he concludes with a command. Notice how he starts this. Enter through the narrow gate. He's not trying to say to anybody, like, here's an option that you have. Now, you got to understand, the reason he isn't giving an option is because at this moment, as he is preaching this sermon, he is talking directly to his disciples. So, if you are one that has surrendered your life to Christ, you follow Jesus, you have that, that name put upon you that you are a disciple of Jesus, you need to see that this is a command for you. Enter through the narrow gate. He is, he's telling us that we are to do this, that it's not something that we have an option for. Now, what's interesting is he starts this conclusion. He's going to give four metaphors. And with those four metaphors, he's actually giving four warnings to us this morning. So he starts this with enter through the narrow gate. Now, what's amazing with this is that the the gate that leads to life is this one that is narrow, it's small. And then he gives reference to a second gate that is wide and that the path is broad and it leads to destruction. Now he is painting a picture here. He's using incredibly descriptive words for us to kind of understand what he's getting at. He's using words to describe size and capacity. And he's planting and painting this picture of what is acceptable in life. Now here's what's interesting when you start looking at this. We have to ask the question, why is the gate narrow? Why do you think the gate is narrow? See, what we have to understand is, simply put, the reason the gate is narrow is because Jesus actually puts restrictions on our life. 
Now, I got to tell you that the moment that I started thinking about that, I pushed against it. Because we live in a society, we live in a country where we don't want restrictions. Restrictions are something that we kind of push against. In fact, uh, as a child and as you were growing up, you constantly pushed against restrictions. It's natural for us. And yet, Jesus is saying that there is a narrow gate that leads to life. And that he has these restrictions. And what we know is that prior to this, starting in chapter 5, he uses about 13 times, and there's other ways that he phrases it, but he uses the phrase, do not. Meaning that Jesus is specifically telling his followers, there are things that you are not to do in your life. You don't have an option if you are one of my children. And so he's placing these restrictions. But then look at how he describes this second gate. He describes it as wide. The path is broad. That, uh, that this is the way that, the most, uh, that has a lot more popularity. What, what is fascinating is that when we think about those words, wide, wide and broad, we start to think, that that's the path that seems to be more life-giving. That's the way that we live. We live in in this culture that it's more life-giving if you have like this this broad uh, path ahead of you. And yet, in verse 14, he ends up telling us that that is the path that leads to destruction. Now, here's what's interesting is that uh, this text was originally written in Greek, okay? And so there is a word, the word narrow uh, that we see in verse 14, ends up uh, being this Greek word of theblio. Now, that word ends up having the definition of to experience trouble or difficulty. Now, that's weird to me. That Jesus is using that word to describe the path that's going to lead to life. And what he's telling his disciples is that the path that leads to life, that leads to me, is the one you are to choose, but you need to know there's going to be a lot of difficulty on it. See, we like to think that the broad means that it's going to be ease, and there's going to be a lot of ease with that. And we think that's where life's going to come from. But Jesus is saying, no, it's going to come in another way. In fact, whenever you look at the word broad in verse 13, what you end up seeing is that that word is actually connected with prosperity. Now, this is where I got to say this, that there is this, uh, this mentality that many people follow because it is a popular mentality known as the prosperity gospel. And what we have to understand here is that the prosperity that you find on broad does not lead to life, it leads to destruction because eventually that prosperity will end. And that true life is found in Jesus. Now, what we also find with this Uh, broad and wide, those words, that those are usually associated with ease and comfort. So I have a son. Uh, My son is a massive sports fan. 
He says that he is a fan of all the teams that I follow, but that's a lie. And uh, what I have found with my son is that he tends to just uh, attach himself rather to teams, he attaches himself to people. So he says he's a Cubs fan. Last week, he went out shopping with my wife, and he came home with a San Diego Padres hat. Uh, He came home to visit us, and he says he's a Bears fan, and yet he showed up with a Cleveland Browns jersey and a Buffalo Bills jersey. I said to him, I said, Gav, like, you are no longer a fan of the teams that you grew up with. What's going on? And he keeps saying, yes, I am, I am. And yet he has all of this. And then we start watching sports together. And here's what I find with my son. It's really easy for him to cheer during a game because he loves every team. And yet for me, I can't do that. See, what's funny is that we think the ease and the comfort of having the wide and having so much is going to be easier, and yet, in the end, you don't have the commitment to something that Jesus is talking about here. So, let me end by asking you this. Why does Jesus use the order the way that he does here? Notice that he uses gate and then path, not path and then gate. I think what he's doing here is that he is talking about this and he's saying there is going to be a decision that you have to make and that you will make it and that decision is either going to be with me or it's going to be with someone or something else. And so... When we accept the invitation to the kingdom of heaven, the path that we are on after that is the path known as discipleship. And he's saying it's not going to be easy. It's it's going to be difficult. But it's the way that leads to life. See, Jesus isn't saying that you have to do all these things on your journey and then enter the gate. He's saying you accept the invitation, and then I will walk with you on that journey that you are taking, and I will be a part of your discipleship. Friends, you and I have a decision to make, and it's not a one-time decision. It's a decision that you wake up every day and say, am I going to follow the Savior? Am I going to follow Jesus today? In everything that I do, the narrow gate and the the narrow road are much more restrictive. But it's because it's limited to Jesus and the way that his discipleship takes place in our lives. And my prayer is, is that that is the gate that you are following. So we see this this first part in these uh, first two verses on the disciples' journey. And now we need to look at the disciples' discernment. Look at verses 15 through 20. Um, When we start looking at this, what we have to remember is that life lived the way of Jesus isn't easy. It takes us surrendering our wills. It takes us uh, surrendering everything to him. And so it's walking with him daily 
It's not just a one day a week. I got to remind you, because often we can get into life and we can go about our day and forget this, but you and I are sinners. We aren't perfect. (laughs) And so we have to remember this as we are going along and we get to verses uh, 15 through 20 and look at what it says. Watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So he's using another metaphor here, and he starts this section with another warning. Watch out. He's saying, watch out, that even along the journey with Jesus, even entering the narrow gate and going down that path, that there are still going to be things that you have to watch out for. And in this section, he starts talking about false prophets or teachers, that they are going to come along, and he is giving a warning to the people there, to his disciples, that you need to watch out for people that are going to distort the truth that they are not going to be living for me. And this is vitally important to your discipleship as a follower of Jesus. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to quote someone that was uh, preaching on this text on this stage a couple years ago. And I can't really say that he was a scholar because he'll hold that over me, but Pastor Hannibal taught on this text a couple years ago and as I, uh, I watched the beginning of that message, and he said something that was really interesting to me. He said this. It has to do with the context that Jesus is dealing with false prophets now at the end of this sermon. He says, the reason Jesus is talking about false prophets in this context is because at the end of the day, we aren't just the things we do, we are the things we think. You find throughout Scripture this connection between mind, heart, and behavior. God doesn't just appear to your mind or just to your heart, and even less calls you to do something like behavior in isolation. He always deals with your mind and heart because when he deals with those, that will dictate the way you behave. Now, don't tell him I used him here, okay? But that hit me because my mind, my heart loves hearing good things, even easy things. And false prophets, false teachers often come and they take a pattern in their teaching where they're going to go after the ease and the comfort because we as people love to attach ourselves to that. They aren't teaching truth from God. And Jesus is saying, watch out for them. They're going to come. And notice what he does. He refers to them as that they are coming like they are in sheep's clothing. Now that's nice. That's like cute and cuddly. But then he says, but underneath, they're like ferocious wolves. Now when, when he goes to this, There's different translations on the Bible that use the word ferocious or they use vicious 
or they use ravenous. And so that word is used, and it usually refers to people that are going to extort or swindle others, meaning that these false prophets, these false teachers are going to be teaching these things and they're going to make a profit off the people that are listening to it. And he's warning his followers to watch out because they're going to come. And yet, Jesus is also saying that he wants his followers to understand that they are false. So he says, watch out and pay attention to their fruit. Now notice, he uses this phrase twice. He uses it in verse 16, and he uses it in verse 20. And so Jesus is stressing the need for good fruit, that good fruit has to come meaning that they will teach God's will rather than their own will. That they're going to be uh, meeting God's standards rather than their own standards. That they're going to have kingdom motives rather than the motives of their bank account. And they're actually going to be pursuing God's glory rather than their own glory. And so he's saying, look at this. And so what he's telling us as disciples is he's saying, you have to be able to assess whether they are false teachers. And so my question is, is can you? See, in order for that to take place, you have to think about God's truth more than just one day a week, more than just a Sunday. We have to be thinking about God's truth. So it matters how you as a disciple interact with this book. In order for you to know what a false teacher is, it's going to be because you are a disciple that is in love with this book, that you treasure it. And I got to be honest with you and tell you this, if you are using an app on your phone, great, but I'm going to tell you, get a physical Bible. That you are reading it, that you are treasuring it, because in order to understand if someone is false, you have to know the truth. So Jesus is saying, you got to do this. But then what's interesting is he used this metaphor of trees. So my backyard has trees. I don't know about you, but I love having trees in my yard. I love having them uh, grow, and they're, they're huge, and they provide shade. But I have these trees in my yard, and when I say I have trees, what I got to do is I got to be honest with you, I actually have dying trees. I actually had to call someone known as the tree doctor. And this guy came out, and he made an assessment. And so he looked at them, then he sent us this, uh, this kind of conclusion that he came to, and he said, yep. Those two trees are dead. And he said, what you need to do is you're going to need to just cut them down. What ended up happening is these insects came and they, they took over and they killed that tree. So I got that this week when I was reading this. What's interesting is what Jesus says, what, is good, what happens to the trees that bear bad fruit is exactly what I need to do with my trees. You cut them down, and they're thrown into the fire. Now, is Jesus telling us to take false teachers and go burn them? No. 
Okay? What he is saying is, I know who the false teachers are, and there is a coming judgment that will be upon them. We're saying about it that God will take care of everything, and he is going to bring judgment in this. There's a coming judgment that will come. And what we are to do as disciples is that we are to be disciples who are discerning, who have wisdom, that we choose to know God's word, we seek his will, we live for him, so that when the false teachers come, we know that they aren't speaking the truth. See, friends, disciples make tough decisions to live for Christ's kingdom. So we have uh, the disciples' discernment, and we got to move to the disciples' obedience. It's found in verses 21 through 23. I don't know if you know this, but do you know what impacts your life more than anything else in this world? It's your will. Your will, not the thing that when you die that they read that document. I'm talking about your inner will impacts more, impacts you more than anything else in this world. Because it's that your will that you end up that determining what your drive, what your desires, what your purpose, what your love, what you are going to worship, what you're going to follow. That's where it all takes place. And yet we often don't spend time asking ourselves, Am I, is my will pursuing the right things? Because we often are just focused on self. And so Jesus addresses this in verses 21 through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So this is startling. <laughs> when I read this, it's uh, that last phrase, away from me, is harsh. It's one of those uh, phrases that makes me have to continually look at it and say, am I pursuing Jesus the way that I'm called to pursue Jesus? See, we have to understand this reality, that a verbal confession of Jesus as Lord can actually mask an unrepentant heart. So I want to say this, for all of us, that my prayer is, is that when you confess that Jesus is Lord of your life, that your heart started becoming a heart that was repentant in all things. But I got to tell you, if your heart isn't repentant in all things, if it's not a heart that is seeking repentance and, and going to the Lord, I got to tell you, I don't know if your confession was authentic. See, Jesus is saying that a confession always should be combined with a heart that is repentant to him. 
And so the will of God means that it's a will that is obedient to the call of the kingdom of heaven rather than the call of the kingdom of self. See, disciples are going to choose obedience to Christ instead of obedience to self. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying we need to make a choice. Who are we going to obey? And that is something that we have to look at all the time. That's why he's saying in verse 21, look at that phrase, not everyone who says to me. It's because disciples are going to make a choice. They're going to, they're going to be disciples that hear his words and Instead of just hearing them, they're going to go after those words with obedience. Here's what's fascinating is that he's, he's trying to get us to understand that it's much more than like signing that we believe this doctrinal statement. It's much more than just singing the words that we sing on Sunday morning. That it, it's meaning that our actions and the will of our life is going to be about pursuing him. And obeying him, even in those times where we're having the, paddle go, the battle going, I don't like that. All of us have an enemy. Of course, we have Satan. But I'm saying all of us have people that we would say, that person's my enemy, or that's somebody I don't really like to be around. And yet, are we called to love our enemies? Yeah. And so, will you obey that? From Jesus. See, in this, we, we have to look at this, and um, it, it means that there's going to be people that come, and they're going to participate, and they're going to be part of participating in what's known as the kingdom, but what's different, and what Jesus is saying here is that the difference is that there's going to be a heart of obedience. And he's saying obedience is even more important, and look at what the things he says, more important than prophecy, more important than driving out demons, more important than miracles. See, we tend to like uh, bring and raise those things up to the, those are like the ultimate giftings. And yet what Jesus is saying is obedience is much more important. See, we have to make a choice. We're called not just to hear God's word, but to obey them. So that at the end of our days, that we would hear Jesus say, I know you well, not away from me. So Jesus deals with the obedience of his disciples. And he says that there's going to be people that are going to be in our midst and they're not going to fall into being true disciples. And then he deals in this last section with the disciples' foundation. So let's look at that. It's in verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the ha that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice 
was like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, the builders in this last metaphor, they have a decision to make. They have a decision of where they are going to put their foundation. This is a, a brilliant story that he, that he tells. And he ends up saying, one chooses a rock, one chooses sand. And I want to take you back for a second. Remember that the section starts with two gates and two paths. That, that we have a choice there. One leads to destruction, but it's full of, that looks easy and comfortable. It's more popular. But the other is narrow. It's restrictive. And so it means that there's only one place you should really put your foundation. So let me ask you, uh, do you like beach vacations? We have any beach vacations here? Okay. Um, I like beach vacations. Um, in fact, I like them so much because for some reason we all live in Illinois. It's like the curse of our country is Illinois. Um, and so in the wintertime, it's like, I want to go on a beach vacation. We, uh, my wife, uh, with her work, we uh, have been able to spend a lot of time on Mexican beaches. And so we will go and we'll enjoy the time there. In the middle of winter, there will be times that I'll have pictures up on my computer, these pictures of like the beach and the waves coming in, this beautiful sunset, and it's like, that's where I want to be. We all react that way. We all want to be at the beach when we see those beautiful pictures. So we get to our beach vacations. You know, we get on the beach, we get sort, everything sorted out, we're there, and let me ask you this personal question. Has anyone ever had sand in their swimsuit? I, I'm going to be honest with you, I have. And I got to tell you, that beach vacation is great for that little while where I'm sand free and then all of a sudden the sand comes. And I have sand for days everywhere I go. If you take little kids you end up realizing that the kids end up bringing the sand into the car, into the hotel room. Everywhere you go, there's sand. And for the next couple weeks, you're getting sand out of your clothes. The kids have it in between their toes still. All of that. Sand is great until it becomes an irritant. It looks amazing until it starts to irritate your life. And the reality is, sand is nice for a moment but you sure wouldn't want it to be your foundation for every day. So Jesus ends up presenting two builders. And the, they both had the same desire. They wanted to build a house. Both are good desires. In fact, these builders, they're not much different. And so they want to build this house. But what we have to understand is that this metaphor that Jesus is giving is actually this contrast that's happening and a call to a decision. It's saying that there's a difference between these two. And so Jesus, Jesus explains that when we hear his words, we actually hear him. This is what I mean, is that 
I can talk to you and, and we can talk to one another. And as people, what ends up happening is that there are times that we are saying things to one another and we exaggerate them. Or sometimes we'll put in that little lie. We'll say things that are super important and then forget that we ever said them. It's because often when we are speaking words, it's not tied to our identity. And yet, with Jesus, the moment that he says his words, what we have to understand is that he is speaking truth because he is the truth. That he is, he is never going to, to say something that is different from his character, that's different from his identity. What he says, whenever we hear those words, we are actually hearing him. It's exact truth. And so when we hear his words, we can actually know exactly who Jesus is. And so he is saying that I'm saying all these things and you have a decision to make on the foundation that you are going to build. And so he is combining commitment and obedience together. See, the wise and the foolish builders is Jesus calling for a decision between himself and the religious teachers. He's actually calling people in that moment to make a decision on, on who they're going to follow. And he's actually using a phrase in the sense of saying, you're either with me or you're against me. And what's amazing is that when we read these words, we are being challenged to make the same decision. What is your foundation built on? Disciples have to make a decision of where their foundation is going to be built. And the reason is, is because Jesus knows that life is going to be tough. And so when the storms of life come, is your foundation going to be swept away or is it going to be solid because you know that the Savior is still on the journey with you? See, Disciples make tough decisions to live for Christ's kingdom. Now what's fascinating is the last part of the sermon. See, disciples make choices, and at the end of this, it says these, these words in verse 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I want you to see two words there, amazed and authority. They're descriptive words. It says the crowds were amazed. Jesus spoke with authority that others didn't seem to have, and, and he was different than the teachers that were actually dispersed in the crowd listening to him. He was different than them. But notice what it doesn't say. It, it doesn't say anywhere that it says that thousands put their faith in him. It doesn't say that all of a sudden thousands were new believers or, or that you know, their lives were radically transformed. It's because this. It's because you can be amazed at Jesus and still not be a disciple of Jesus. 
You can think his teaching is good, and it is. You can, you can be amazed with him. You can uh, look at Jesus and think, man, all of that he says and did was absolutely incredible. But you can still not make a commitment. See, Jesus is giving all of this in the Sermon on the Mount. And what we end up finding is that many were amazed with him, but they weren't committed to him. And so when we see this, the question is, is are you committed to him? Are you and I committed to him? Have we surrendered our lives to him and saying, every day I want my will to be your will. I want to pursue what you have for me. And it's a constant battle that is going to be taking place. And so will you enter the gate of life and journey on a life following him, or will you choose to reject him and choose the more popular journey? Are you going to be a disciple that finds discernment for your life, or are you going to follow the false voices of the world? Will you obey the will of Jesus rather than the will of yourself and others? Are you going to build your life on Jesus as the foundation of everything you do? Or are you going to build your life on the soft foundation of the world? That's what Jesus is getting at. Because we have to understand this. Disciples make tough decisions to live for Christ's kingdom. Because Christ's kingdom is the graceful authority to build your life on. My prayer is, is that is the case for you. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray for this community. I pray for us as a, a church family that we would be disciples that desire your wisdom, that we would be Disciples that want to discern truth. That we want to obey you. That each and every day we would wake up hungry for your word. So that we can understand the truth that we must follow. So I pray, Lord, that there would be radical transformation that would happen in this place in our church as a whole, and that we would follow you and that each and every day we would make the tough decision to surrender all we have for the path of life. Guide us. Lead us in that. In your name I pray. Amen.